This Sunday, you might notice, if you notice such things, we've returned to green pyramids. We have returned to what we call in the church ordinary time. Not because it is so ordinary, but it is a time of growth, which is why it is represented by the color green. It's a time of growth and development of our faith, deepening our understanding of what it means to be Christian and to understand who Jesus is. It isn't Christmas, it isn't Easter, it isn't Advent or Lent, it is simply ordinary time, accounting of regular Sundays when we grow, put down roots, and deepen like plants in the ground. This year is lectionary year A, which means that we are going throughout Matthew's Gospel in the New Testament and Genesis in the Hebrew Scriptures. So as we read Matthew today, I want you to remember that this is set in a larger context of healing stories and miracles that all follow the Sermon on the Mount. I'm sure you all have those familiar words, blessed are you, for you will be, and Jesus' blessings for people. And it is as though these are all examples of what it means when Jesus says, blessed are you who are hurting or in agony or suffering in some way, for you will be, and the answer is that Jesus will meet you with the need that you in particular have. So blessed are you who are suffering from this type of pain or disease or ailment, for you will be healed in this way. And it is as though he is showing us exactly how he lives out the Sermon on the Mount, that a life of faith isn't something you just talk about, it's something that you do. So in this series of healings, Jesus is going through his days and a man with leprosy comes for on his own behalf for healing, and then somebody comes on behalf of his paralyzed and suffering servant. He encounters Peter's mother-in-law who has a fever and he heals her. Someone who cannot walk, another who cannot see, another who cannot speak, and each one has the healing that they need. People who are possessed are back in their right minds again. But as all of this is happening, Jesus is becoming something of a celebrity. There is a lot of notoriety about what he is doing, and you can see that in some ways it's starting to threaten him. It is in healing people, specifically in raising people from the dead, that Jesus has suddenly a big target on his back. It is not safe for him any, anymore, and as crowds are following him, it's changing how he's able to, to carry out his ministry. And we hear that the Pharisees who see these healings have begun to plot how to put him to death. So in Matthew, in our scripture for today, we are going to hear one of these healing stories from the ninth chapter. Let us listen together for the word of God. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And he sat down at dinner in the house, and many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. Now, I want to pause here and say what's so interesting about this story, which is usually just called the call of Matthew, is that that sort of takes it out of its context. But what was happening here is that Matthew himself needed healing. He, as a tax collector, had been cut off and removed from his people. They saw him as a traitor because as a tax collector, he was aligned with the Roman Empire that was oppressing them. And he was collecting taxes on the empire's behalf, and tax collectors usually skimmed off the top, so they would themselves become very wealthy. 
And so he had been rejected by his people as being a traitor, but now the healing Jesus offers him is to be enfolded again back into the community. And then he encounters someone else who has a similar situation, if we think about it this way, a woman who's also been cut off from her people and then restored to health. So to go on, as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, this was his way of healing them, right? To restore them to one another and to community. When he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, the wedding guests cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth onto an old cloak, for the patch pulls away from the cloak, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins, otherwise the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved." While he was saying these things to them, suddenly a leader of the synagogue came and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and followed him with the disciples. Then suddenly a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringes of his cloak. For she said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be made well. And he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And in her being made well, she too is then restored back to her people, back to her community. When Jesus came to the leader's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away. These were funeral mourners who were coming for the funeral of this little girl. But he says, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. And the report of this spread throughout the district. May God add a blessing to the reading and the hearing and our understanding of God's holy word. So our scriptures today give us so many opportunities for different ways that we can interpret them and understand them. I think as modern people, as people post-enlightenment, we sometimes struggle with these healing narratives. And sometimes we try to take these as a sort of fable or a story, and we say, well, what we can learn best from them is to set them in their historical context. And in that way, we can learn how it is, what it meant to be a tax collector, what it meant to be like this woman with this particular ailment, what it meant to be this somebody who was exiled and not included in the community and society. We can follow in the way that biblical scholars would call the historical critical method and just look back at history and see what it is that might make more sense to us in the scripture if we think about it in that way. We can wonder too what it meant for the early church. What did these texts mean 
when the church began to gather together and read these texts and remember that the early church realized that there wasn't any distinction that they could make to separate some of them from others, that they would all be welcomed and included. So we can wonder what it was that the gospel writer intended for his contemporary audience to hear. We can also wonder what generations of believers have gleaned from the story in between. But for our purposes today, I want to take this simply as a devotional text and to wonder if it isn't possible that the scripture today could be alive and new in a fresh new way and speaking to us and to our lives in ways that we might not have imagined it before. Today, with everything we have learned about human psychology and everything we believe as people of faith, I tried to do that this week, and I noticed something unusual that I hadn't noticed before. Now, in our Bibles, we often have headings that are included in the text, which are not original to the scriptures, but which were added in later by editors who wanted to give us some help along the way as we try to find where certain passages are. And this one is almost labeled, Jesus Raises a Dead Girl. But what does Jesus say specifically in this reading? She is not dead. She's only asleep. And it's interesting to wonder, was he only saying that to protect himself? Because he knew that the more miraculous his healings, the more that target was on his back. Or is it possible that we could take Jesus at his word and that we could say, perhaps she was only sleeping and perhaps the miracle was Jesus raising her back to herself, waking her up. And this is what I wonder if we can't use today, that like the little girl, each and every one of you has what psychologists might call an inner child. I'm sure you've all heard this before. And each and every one of you has a core essence, a core identity. And I wonder, some of you might call it a divine spark, others might call it your you-ness, what makes you, you. And I wonder if it isn't true for us today, never mind all of the other ways that this text has been read or could be read, I wonder if it isn't true for us today that your spark, your you-ness, that thing that makes you, you, is so asleep that it appears to everyone else as though it has died. Could that be possible for you today? And could it also be possible that Jesus in his wisdom, in his power, in all of his resurrection glory, that he can't identify that you are still there, that you are not dead, you are only sleeping, and that he could not say to each and every one of you, little girl, little boy, little one, get up. What would that mean for you today? And to wonder this, means that I can't exactly give you the right answer. I can only invite you into pondering who it was that you were when you were a little child. What is your essence? Who is your divine spark? And who you would be if you indeed allowed that little one to wake up. Now, as we wonder this, I think one of the things that's easiest to remember and helpful a little bit is to wonder what is it that you thought you might be or do 
when you were a child, when people said to you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Call, call a few of them out. Don't be shy. A teacher. A, okay, a ballerina. That gets to my next quote from Mad Men, when the mother says very critically to her child, whom she didn't support and love very much, the world could not support so many ballerinas, right? The world could not support all of us being professional athletes. The world didn't need all of us to be firefighters. What other things did you imagine being or doing? A veterinarian. So many wonderful things. But beyond that, so not just the dream of your childhood fantasy or your career choice. Mark Twain famously said, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. Now, I would say for us today in conversation with this gospel is that we are born knowing why. So the most important day is not the day we find out why, but the day we remember why and the day we let everything else fall away from us, all of the ways we have been distracted or dissuaded from who it is that we were called to be. So try and remember, imagine that clock winding back. Who were you as a young child? And what would fall away as we rewind that clock? Cynicism, criticism, judgment from others. What messages would you need to forget? What psychologists would tell us is that many people who feel as though they need healing happened to them is that their inner child had a wounding message. What wounding messages would we have to erase to get back to your essence, the core of who you are? And let us open our minds to that possibility that you could still be that person. If you would forget, maybe the message was that it's not okay to feel your feelings. Often, when children, as they do, have big feelings, their parents send them out of the room to pull themselves back together alone, as though it's not okay to have these big feelings. Go figure it out on your own and come back and be around other people when you've pulled yourself together. That is a big wounding message for a lot of us. So it's not okay to feel the way you feel. Others have heard that it's not okay to trust your instincts. Don't listen to your gut. Listen to other people. Find sources of authority outside of yourself. Some people think that it's not okay to make mistakes. That was their wounding message. They have to be perfect and they cannot make a mistake or they will be rejected for that. And so they go through their whole life changing their core and their essence to try to fit a mold. Some people get the message it's not okay to say what they need. They become people pleasers, only able to recognize the needs of other people and not able to claim what it is that they need. But we have to let all of these things fall away and recover who we are at our essence. As we just heard in the liturgy for baptism, what Jesus says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom like a little child shall not enter it. We have to take him at his word here too and wonder what are those childlike qualities that we need if we are going to enter the kingdom? Is it a sense of awe and wonder? Is it an expansive imagination or a heightened sense of right and wrong? I invite you again, think back to who you were. 
who is that person who Jesus would take by the hand and stand back up? Who are you? A hospice nurse in Australia, Bronnie Ware, has written a book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. She writes that number one, the number one regret that people have as they are on hospice care and dying is this. They say, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. She says this was the most common regret of all. When people realize that their life is almost over and look back clearly on it, it is easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not honored even half of their dreams and had to die knowing it was due to choices they had made or not made. Health brings a freedom very few realize until they no longer have it. But we all have time to recapture that dream. I like to read this passage from the Gospel of Matthew alongside the very, very similar account from Mark because I think it adds some details that really help us understand. So this is what Mark says about the same story. So as Jesus comes and he breaks up this funeral, all done, no funeral here. We are not gonna mourn the loss of this person who is not gone. He takes the child's father and mother and the disciples who are with him. He went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. At this, they were completely astonished, and he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. Now, the child who needs to be woken up also should be nourished by others. Friends, there have to be others who have seen your original self seem to disappear or die, and we can call on each and every one of us to be a part of nurturing that one back to life. So give this one something to eat, acknowledge its aliveness, nurture it, nourish it, support it. Friends, there is only one of you, only one mind that is yours, only one who has the experiences that you have had, only one who knows the way that you know. Of course, we are all alike in the most important ways, but we are each unique. We are each an original from the hand of God. And we have been from our first breath to our last. Each heart, each mind, each soul, made specifically by God, exactly the way that you have been made. Do not let the original essence of who you are look dead or even sleeping to the outside world. And as people of faith, it actually doesn't matter which, for Jesus is a a resurrected Lord. God is a God of resurrected power, and you, no matter what has happened to you throughout your life, you, even you, can be raised to new life. Little one, get up. 